Father, we love you so very much, and thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, Lord God. Thank you for the time you spent with us in praise and worship, Lord God. You're opening hearts and minds to receive your word today, Lord God. Thank you the enemy has been defeated. We have victory in all aspects today, Lord God. The word goes forth unchecked, unhindered by any unseen force, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you that revelation now flows freely now in this house. In Jesus' name, everyone said a big amen and amen. Well, the Bible makes it clear that we are, in fact, from another world. I'm talking about his people. We are from another world and that we are not like everyone else. Um, in John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus said this. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now he's talking about his prayer to God. And, um, but that you should, you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he said, I'm going to keep you from the evil one, which tells me that there might be attacks that come our way. The evil one's always trying, the devil's always trying to attack God's people in some manner or some form. I'll get to that in just a little bit. But he said, I pray that they understand that they're not from the world as I'm not from the world. So where are we from then? If we're not from the world. The Bible says, I don't have time to turn to every scripture today, although I'm going to do some more teaching than preaching today. The Bible says that we, the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. That the moment we became born again, we were born into another uh, citizenship. Not just one on earth, but one that's in heaven. Jesus said when you pray, understand that whatever you bind on earth is now bound where? In heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is now loose where? In heaven. Uh, he tossed to pray that he said that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our citizenship did not change. The fact of the matter is we're born here. Maybe you're born in the United States. Therefore, your citizenship is from here on earth. But the truth of the matter is there's something higher. Everybody say something higher. There's another higher element to this, a principle here, and that is that your citizenship also belongs in heaven. So that when you pray on earth, and we're going to pray tonight like heaven, we're going to pray heaven down tonight. I'm getting back. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm getting back in prayer. And, uh, and some of y'all need to get back in prayer. Um, and when we pray on earth, we're in fact, we're not, just, we're not just affecting the things here on earth. We're affecting the heavenlies, the Bible says. And whatever we bind here gets bound there. So in other words, there's an authority that we gain that's higher than the system of man. And he says this, he said in John 15, 19, Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Okay? Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't think you're different? Bring up the name of Jesus tomorrow at the break room. See what happens. You're going to find there's going to be a major divide. You can talk about Buddha all day, Krishna all day, talk about God all day. Talk about the mysterious things of God. Talk about, talk about spiritual things, and people might be intrigued. But the moment you bring up the name of Jesus, everything in the atmosphere begins to change. Because you're not just from here, you're also from there. I said you're not from here alone, you're also from heaven. Somebody say Amen. So in other words, you're affecting something else, not just this world, but the spiritual world that's around you. That's what makes you different. When you say something, there's backing behind it. And you can curse something, and there's backing behind that too because you're not of this world anymore. I just said a thing right there. You can even curse something, and there's power behind it. That's the bad thing. Sometimes we end up cursing the things we're supposed to be blessing. 
But I think we ought to be cursing sin and evil and problems in society. Somebody say amen. You know, you can bring a judgment. That's another teaching. But you can bring a judgment in prayer on things that are not of God. Look at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. He's talking about you now. This is who you are as a believer in Christ. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Everybody say priesthood. A holy nation. His own special, I told you special, his own special people or peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God wants you to stand out. And sometimes when you stand out, you stand alone. At least you feel like you do. But God may be requiring that of you. That's called sanctification, to set you apart. So that you are not supposed to be like everybody else. You're supposed to be something that sets, that actually is peculiar, something that's actually special. So if that's the truth, why are you trying to fit in so bad? Why are we spending so much energy trying to look like the world, sound like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, think like the world? That's not who we are. Why are we trying to get affirmation from people who do not know God? They ought to be looking at you and I and say, there's something about you. i got to know about you that's different than what I've got. There's a hunger and a thirst every time I walk around you. If you're not to fit in, why do you try so hard? You don't fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. That's not God's best for you. And I could go on and on and on about examples of Christians always trying to fit in. And even in 2020, I'm going to prophesy now, things are about to change on earth as it is in heaven. And you're going to start seeing services, church services begin to change. And if they don't change, God will not be a part of it. It's almost like God winked at it for a while and allowed it, but now God's setting up a new thing in the earth and he's causing even the the old things to come back that are of his spirit, the old things to come back, but the new things that are man are going to be eliminated, but there's a new thing about to happen in the earth. We need to get ready for what God's about to do. Everybody say change is about to happen. And everybody say change is needed for us to move forward. I'm tired, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of going to church that's weak and anemic and prayers not getting answered and people not serving God, living like the rest of the world, then belling up to the bower of the Holy Ghost saying, Lord, give me what you have for me today. But the truth is they don't want to obey God. So we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I want to see a church in 2020 that has the power of God working in services where the gifts of the Holy Ghost are still moving. I said I was going to teach today and not preach. I'll get to some of those things in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, do we have some people in Christ today? He is a new creation. Do you know what that word creation means? It means a new species of being. There was never anyone like you before Christ on the earth. There was never the potential of anyone like you before Christ. Jesus came as the first. He became the example. And all those that receive him by faith receive his spirit. Now the Holy Ghost dwells inside of you. In times of old, the Holy Ghost only dwelt upon people. But now he dwells inside of you, which makes you what? Different. You're different. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, walks with you everywhere you go. You are a new creation. You are a new species of being. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new season. It's a new day. You're not the same. You may look the same as others, but you are not the same as others. In 2020, if we had to rid ourselves of frustration and fulfill our purpose, our God-given purpose, we must first stop trying to fit in with everyone else. You don't fit the world's norm. You don't fit the world's standard. You don't fit the world's agenda. You don't fit the world's behavior or the world's lifestyle. You don't fit it. And if you don't fit it, then you must admit it, quit it, and then resubmit it to God. This year, God wants us to resubmit everything back to him. So in 2020, we have to have 2020 vision of who we really are in Christ. Let me make this statement. Knowing your purpose gives you vision, gives you 2020 vision, and it will be crucial for the fruitfulness and fulfillment for and in 2020. Remember this, a fruitless life is a frustrated life. But a, fruit, but a fruitful life is a fulfilled life. The whole agenda is for us to begin to manifest what God promised us. I don't want to have another year of talking about God's promises. And they are yes and amen. But he wants to bring them forth in this new year. What will, it, what will it require, Pastor? It will require my total obedience to the Almighty. God is no longer, let me tell you, the future that God's given you, the, I'm talking about, you've got, I'm so excited. I'm not angry. I'm, 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 I'm totally excited because I see such great things about to happen in your lives. You're about to attain things you never thought possible. But it will not happen without your total obedience to him. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And God's about to give you much. Therefore, he requires much. And that what I mean that by that is saying total obedience. I obey God, and my obedience is, is predicated on my trust, if I can trust God or not. Again, I just said something right there. My obedience is predicated upon my trust, because if I don't trust him, I won't obey him. But if I fully trust and rely upon, that's what faith is, trusting and relying upon him totally, then I will obey him in every single way. And the reason how I know that I'm not trusting him is when my prayer life goes to nothing. I'm preaching better than you want to shout. I know you're Holy Ghost filled, and most of y'all praying probably, but you're probably not praying enough. When, when most pastors pray about eight minutes a day, you probably pray less than that. We can't be a part of the statistics. We've got to be different this year. If I'm not praying and spending time with God in his word, my trust level goes down. When my trust level goes down, I will not obey him to give my tithe, my offering. will not obey him to go witness to my neighbors. will not obey him to do this, that, or the other. The hard things. Who's ready to see the fruit this year? That was 10 of y'all. All the rest of you are working on your trust levels right now. Let me see if I can get some better responses. Who's ready to see some fruit this year? Jesus. Church, there's no way Jesus could endure all that he went through in the cross, being beaten and all the things he went through up to the cross, and then dying the way that he did without seeing and understanding his purpose, which coincides with our purpose. 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, everybody say purpose. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus had a purpose in the earth. Here we see to destroy the works of the devil. But if Jesus had purpose as he is, the Bible says, so are we in this world. Therefore, each and every single one of us have purpose. Satan, the good news is, has been destroyed. The purpose of Jesus was to destroy the works of the devil. He did that at the cross of Calvary when he cried out the last thing he said, it is finished. It is finished. In other words, the debt had been canceled. He destroyed the power of the enemy over anybody else's life. Now what we've got to do, we've received Christ, and we're not of this world, we're of a different world, which means we receive our authority from some other place, which is heaven. That means that we've got to start exercising our authority over the devil. Some of y'all letting the devil just wreak havoc over your lives. Walking into your world and doing whatever he wants to do. Stand your ground and take your authority in the name of Jesus. Cast him out. You've got power. Do you really believe that? Because the more the drama comes your way, the more you talk about the drama, the more you're a part of the problem. And I say this often, but say, don't say it probably often enough. But that's the problem. We're talking too much about the mountain rather than to the mountain. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. Command the devil, loose my children, loose my finances, come away from my family. You've got to exercise your authority. A cop doesn't have authority without exercising its, his authority or her authority. We have police officers in our church, and, um, and you know, it's, you can have a badge all day long, but sometimes people don't respect the badge. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Now, some of y'all hate cops and you need to be delivered because you need to understand that all cops are bad. Some of y'all hate preachers and you need to be delivered of that too because not all preachers are bad. Some of y'all hate doctors, but not all doctors are bad. You understand what I'm trying to say? So my point to you is this, is that they're no good without exercising that authority. That's when you know who's really in charge. Same is true in your own. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to say this. probably shouldn't say this, but yesterday I was driving. You already know where this is going. And I got pulled over. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the first thing I'm thinking, oh, good. Good for you. Pulling me over, trying to pay your bills. State must need some money after Christmas. Right after Christmas, you got to hit people up. You know how your mind goes. You know how your mind goes. I love my cops and friends and all that. But that's the first thought I thought, thought I had. Not the fact that I was disobeying the law. Just because I was breaking the law shouldn't mean you have a right. And I wasn't even paying attention. I really wasn't trying to get in the I wasn't even trying. I wasn't thinking about it. I just, last second he was coming this way, and I saw him. And when I looked down, I thought, oh, I looked down, I thought, oh, no. And sure enough, pew, you know, he hit me, made a big violent circle around as if he was trying to kill somebody. <laughs> oh, my God, you know. Pulls, pulls me over, you know, and, you know, of course, I'm looking for the stuff. I got to get the license and the insurance and all that kind of stuff, and he, and he comes up. Now, I am upset, as most people would be, right? I'm upset. I kind of want to argue my points, you know, like, uh, you know, hey, I wasn't paying attention. I want to do all the, you know, and, you know, this is after Christmas. You, know, you do all the stuff you do, right? But I decided to do what I always do. I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be, I'm going to respect the law. And so I, sir, 
you, you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir, I was speeding. I said, I just, as soon as you went past me, I saw the, saw the, the, uh, the speed limit. Oh, no, you know. And Yeah, so I pulled you over. And uh, I'm being nice, y'all. I'm being so sweet, so nice. And the thing is, well, I will be issuing you a ticket. I mean, not even, not even a little bit a hint of mercy. I'll be issuing you a ticket, and then I couldn't find my insurance, and finally I found my insurance, and it was just a big fiasco and, and all that kind of stuff, and it takes your time. And, and the whole time, I'm now mad. But you know what I'm really mad about? I'm mad that I was nice to him, and he gave me no mercy. $164 ticket. I'm going to need some extra offering this week. Y'all can help out your pastor, bail me out, help me. I appreciate it. Um, 164 bucks. You know, I was going 19 miles over the speed limit, right? I don't know what happens with 20. 20 means you go to jail, I think. That's it. They take you away because he was like a robot. I mean, just like he was going to do his job and that was it. But my point to you is this, is that I respected him even though I didn't want to respect him because of his authority. He exercised his authority. He has a right by the state to do that. And my job is to be compliant to that, right? One of the ways... That we see, and by the way, people think that's a tax. Those are not a tax. One of the ways you measure the size of your purpose and vision is by the direct proportion of the attack you go through. If you've been going through a battle right now, really big battles lately, I'm telling you, the enemy is trying to stop the purpose of God, the plan of God, the reward and benefits of God to come into your life. Understand you're not being attacked for no reason. There's a purpose behind the attack. The enemy knows when greatness is about to happen in the earth. We see that scripturally. Our church has purpose. Our church has vision. Therefore, our church has gone under attack. Every church I'm aware of that has purpose gets a, a moment in time or season in time where they will go into attack. There's something that will attack their ministry or the people of their ministry. But vision, everybody say vision, is greater. Purpose is greater than the attack. So when you're going through your battle, remind yourself of the vision and the purpose. Get your 2020 glasses on in 2020 and go, wait a second, I got a hyper focus now. Because I know God's given me a plan. And our plan as a church is found in Isaiah 61, verse 1, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the open of prison to those who are bound. This is what we're supposed to be doing. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. That's the church. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Why? That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, God, may be glorified. Our whole purpose of existence is for people that walk through the back doors of our church, is for us to see them the way God sees them. And though they are mourning, we'll give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven. You notice the people up here on this platform, they're not downtrodden, even though they had a hard week, a hard morning. They're up here and they're smiling. Why? It's a garment of praise. It's a garment of praise to get everybody else involved to praise and worship God because we know if you'll do it. We know faith will come. Faith will come and break that barrier and your joy will return back to you. And they will be called 
The Bible says the re- they will be the ones who rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. My question to you this morning is this. Who are the theys? The downtrodden, the heartbroken, the misfits, the ones that everybody else threw away. God said, I find value in them. The ones that walk in these church, the church doors and we see the most people say they're over with. Their life is done with. They've had 14 abortions and three marriages and all kinds of problems and drugs and alcohol. We don't see them that way. Thank you for that three claps. I appreciate that very much. Did you know that God has equipped us with supernatural abilities to fulfill the purpose and vision that he has given us? He's actually given those things inside of us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of, of knowledge, through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Quickly, the gift of prophecy, the definition of the gift of prophecy that he put inside of you and me, the gift of prophecy is the special ability that God gives to the members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message from God to his people. You see examples of this of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets, and not just prophets, but also people that were open to God to receive. The Greek word for prophecy is the word prophetia, and it implies that one is speaking for another, speaking on behalf of God. We, 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 encouraged, we are encouraged in God's word to desire to all prophesy according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's what God says. I want people to learn the gift of prophecy to speak on my behalf in their world and in their situation. I believe that every single person is a prophet to some degree. Maybe not the office of prophet, but you have the gift, been given the gift of prophecy to begin to speak what God once said into your life. And when you say a thing, it will be established. Prophecy is designed by God to strengthen the church, encourage the church, comfort the church, instruct the church, and to affect the unbelievers. That's all found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's also a weapon against the enemy as the devil cannot predict your future. He doesn't know your future. He may know that there's a stirring going on, but he doesn't know the ultimate outcome. Yet you have received classified information from above because you're not from this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. So you receive information from on high to be able to speak into your world, into your life. The second thing is there are many kinds of tongues, the Bible says. That's another gift. The gifts of tongues is supernatural ability to speak to others and or to God in a language or utterance never learned by the speaker. Acts 2.11 says that while they were speaking with tongues, they spoke the wonderful works of God. Um, Philip's, uh, the uh, Phillips translation says, The man who speaks in a tongue addresses not men, for no one understands a word he says, but God only. And only in his spirit is he speaking spiritual secrets. Another translation says, For one uh, who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands or catches his meaning because in the spirit he utters, I love this, he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. So when I speak in my prayer language, it's a, it's a language unto 
God. It is mystery to men, but to God it is a perfect language and it's hidden wisdom. Uh, and it's also a weapon that the devil doesn't understand. You can use when you speak in your prayer language. You're no longer using your language. He doesn't understand what you're saying. Also, the Bible says that when you pray in the spirit or pray in your tongue, you build yourself up in faith. We need to be spending more time speaking in tongues. More than even our, our, our English language, which we chop up anyways, praise God. But it's beginning to speak in tongues so that we can begin to speak the mysteries of the Lord. Number three, the gift of interpretation of tongues is another one. Definition of that is the, the gift by which God made in, uh, intelligible what was hidden from all. The word interpretation in the Greek is harmonia, and it means explanation or full of interpretation. It's the ability through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring understandable meaning to an inspired message in tongues. So tongues is given, and then you, have, you, you supernaturally understand what's being said. It's, it's, it's God working through you. After you pray in tongues, you, ask, you can ask for, uh, for your interpretation. Many times I've done that, prayed in the Spirit, and all of a sudden I begin to say, Lord, now what is it that, what do we need to be assignment on? What am I praying Many times he will give me the interpretation. If he doesn't, I continue to speak that wisdom and that truth anyways. The fourth thing is, leading into this, is the word of wisdom. You understand each one of these can be a weak study. But I want to give this to you the new year. And then you can get back, go back online and rehearse these. The word of wisdom is this. The definition is the supernatural application of knowledge. And wisdom is skill, cleverness, and is the right application of the knowledge of truth. The word of wisdom gives us the skill and knowing how and when to minister accurately by the Holy Spirit into people's lives. It also makes the timing right and enables the other gifts to make a significant impact. It's called a word in season. Many times we receive something for others, but it's not the time to deliver what we're getting. Word of wisdom gets the timing correct. It's a word in season. Uh, it's a word in, to the wise God has for his people that's in season. Also, uh, the word of wisdom brings a sense of urgency. It's now, right now. I have to do. And most of you are getting that unction of the Holy Spirit but not recognizing that it's actually a supernatural gift God has given you. Have you ever had that moment like, I need to call so-and-so today. I gotta call my mom now. I gotta call my grandfather. Now. I gotta make this happen now. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this, I gotta talk to this person today. Something about it, there's an urgency. That's a word of wisdom. There's something about the timing that God has for that moment in your life. Uh, the fifth thing is the word of knowledge. Definition of word of knowledge is the revelation of facts, uh, past, present, or future, which were not learned through the efforts of the natural mind. So you're getting information about the past. Today and the future. Uh, we would call them God-given disclosures. You see these uh, examples uh, found in the word of God with Jesus telling Peter that he was to pay the taxes. He goes fishing. said, you go fishing. The first fish you find, there will be a gold coin in its mouth. Pay your taxes and mine. Jesus wants us to pay our bills. Okay? So he gives, he gives him what? A word of God, a word, and and, we've, and of course he goes and does it, and he finds the he finds the gold coin. Okay, um, then Ananias, word of knowledge for him as well. Uh, he has he sees Paul. He doesn't know if he can trust Paul. This Paul was not Paul yet. He was Saul of Tarsus, killing Christians. But God said, "You're to go to him and pray for him that he may receive his sight." That's a word of knowledge. Cornelius um, uh, in finding Peter. 
who was going to be instrumental in bringing the Holy Spirit and salvation to the Gentile world, uh, was given a vision or a word of knowledge to pray for Peter or to receive from Peter. So this is very important. The purpose of the word of knowledge is to bring supernatural encouragement, to give confirmation to what God has already been saying or doing. It's to give instruction and insight and understanding of what is ahead and the purposes of God. It's to unlock hindrances to healing, unanswered prayers, to give strategies in spiritual warfare. It's to reveal where sin is being covered up. That's important. And to open up a situation for God to move. Number six, the gift of discerning the spirits. Um, the gift that, this is the gift that, that, that uh, God gives believers as insight into the supernatural world. Uh, this gift is to enable the person to know the motivation behind a situation or a person. Uh, the word discerning is the Greek word diakrisis, and it means to, to have thorough knowledge of or thorough judging of. Uh, it means to distinguish. It means to recognize or perceive clearly. Um, good example of this would be that the Apostle Paul discerned a spirit that was inside of a girl who was crying out saying, these are the holy men of God, hear them. And yet her motivations were wrong, and he was able to discern the spirit that was behind it, and he cast the devil out of her, found out she was a sorcerer, making a lot of money for somebody and doing this, and premonitions and such, and he rebuked that spirit, and it came up out of her. That's the discerning of spirits. Um, also... Um, the gift is also for the discerning of good spirits, uh, not just evil spirits. You need to know who's among you. Who's got a right motivation in your life? Praise God. Amen. Um, let's go to number uh, seven, a gift of faith. Uh, this is a mysterious surge of confidence which sometimes arises within a person faced, faced with a specific situation or a need. You can't explain it. It's just there. You just simply believe it's a gift. This can apply personally or for others. Um, examples of this would be Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, that had to be a gift of faith for him to say, I'm, I'm going to obey God and get thrown in there and not get chewed up by them lions, killed by the lions. Or the three Hebrew men that were thrown into the fiery furnace. We will not bow to you, king. And they had a gift of faith. Or Paul being in a place of shipwreck and everybody was going to die. But what does he have? He discerns. He understands what God's trying to say and do. He just receives a word that nobody is going to lose their life. That's a gift of faith to stand that kind of strong when you're facing imminent death. Um, I can tell you in starting this church, um, a gift of faith came to me. It had to be a gift of faith because I was on the cusp of a failure, something that did not work. But when I came here, everything began to work. Only God could do that. And my mindset was it's going to work. Number eight, the gifts of healing. It means to supernaturally bring a cure for the sick physical, or spiritually emotional, to make whole in the fullest sense of the word, saving from disease and its effect. Healing is translating uh, the word yama, uh, which means a cure, a cure. Jesus operated this gift everywhere that he went, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, the Bible says. And lastly, the gift of the working of miracles is a remarkable, surprising event that happens by the direct intervention of God, not following the general known laws of nature. Miracles are still working in the earth today. We need to see more miracles begin to happen. The word, the word working, working of miracles, the word working is, of course, an action word, and it's translated from the Greek word energema, and which is where we get energy. And it's an energy to be, in, it means to be in work, to be effective, active, operative, to energize or to be energized. And the word miracle is translated from the well-known word dunamis, 
which is where we get our word dynamite. The dynamite power, working power of God, an act of the dynamite power. We see this with Paul, or rather Peter, walking on the water. It was dunamis power. Joshua commanding the sun to stand still in the valley of Agila, dunamis power. Jesus walking through those who wanted to kill him and stone him or throw him off the brow of a hill, dunamis power. Unexplainable working of a miracle. Church 2020 is going to be marked by God's power and provision in our lives as we step out in faith and begin to utilize his gifts that he's bestowed upon us. How many people are ready to see God move in that kind of manner?